Amateur Radio Newsline report number 2370 with a release date of Friday, March 31st, 2023 to follow in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The following is a QST. Ham step up for storms in the U.S. southeast. The first 3D printed rocket crashes after launch. And our once a year correspondent, Pierre Pullemaleg, has some news about Bouvet Island. All this and more as Amateur Radio Newsline report number 2370 comes your way right now. From around the world, this is Newsline, Amateur Radio's first independent on the air news and bulletin service. Now, reporting from Wadsworth, Ohio. Here's Stefan Kenford, N8WB. We begin this week with deadly storms and tornadoes that pounded southeastern states in the U.S. Randy Sly, W4XJ, tells us that if hams could get to their radios, they did. Here's his report. At least 26 people have died in the wake of powerful storms and tornadoes that swept through the southeastern United States on Friday evening, March 24th. Mississippi was hardest hit as an EF-4 tornado carved a 100-mile path of deadly destruction, leaving the towns of Rolling Fork and Silver City in ruins, along with several others. Robert Hayes, KC5IMN, Amateur Radio Emergency Service Section Emergency Coordinator for Mississippi, told Amateur Radio Newsline that the Jackson Amateur Radio Club activated a Skywarn net early in the afternoon, as did the Central Mississippi Aries Group with their linked repeaters covering the periphery of the Jackson metro area. In addition, Vicksburg-Warren County Aries was also up and running, as were several non-Aries-affiliated nets across the state. He summarized the weather event by saying that after the initial reports of the three major impacts, almost every operator who could get on the air was on the air if they were in a coverage area. Hayes noted that just prior to the storm, the section was about to initiate a request from the three NWS offices that cover the state to talk about Skywarn requirements and standards in order to be more effective as spotters. This storm, he believes, provides even greater motivation to accomplish this. This is Randy Sly. W4XJ. The launch of the first 3D printed rocket didn't result in the successful flight that was envisioned by the company that created it, but they are still encouraged. Paul Brown, WD9GCO, has those details. When the first rocket to be created by 3D printing lifted off from Cape Canaveral, Florida on March 22nd, it was a successful launch, but a failed flight. The creators of Terran 1, however, are encouraged by the late March blast-off, which was intended to send the rocket 200 kilometers or 125 miles into orbit for a few days. The California company, known as Relativity Space, had printed 85% of the rocket's metal components, including its engines, as a means of making the costs of space travel less prohibitive. After three minutes of flight, however, the uncrewed Terran 1 crashed into the ocean after one of its nine engines appeared to lose ignition. In an interview with National Public Radio conducted prior to the launch, the company's CEO, Tim Ellis, had said that he would still consider the mission a success if the rocket were simply capable of surviving the rigors of a launch. A company executive said during the launch webcast that she believed enough data had been gathered to demonstrate that 3D printed rockets can be viable in space. According to the NPR report, yet another rocket is already in the design stages for launch next year, and the company ultimately hopes to create a rocket in which 95% of its parts are created through 3D printing. 
The startup venture has entered the market hoping to be able to help send even more satellites into orbit around the Earth. This is Paul Brown, WD9GCO. It's not yet cyclone season in India, but for amateurs on the east coast of that nation, it's always a good season to be prepared. As you'll hear in this story from Graham Kemp, VK4BB, the West Bengal Radio Club, was prepared. The tropical cyclones that have struck eastern India over the years have been deadly. However, none of those cyclones could compare to the one that Hams responded to on March 23 in the state of West Bengal. This was a mock cyclone, and so, at 9 o'clock that morning, when the region went into high alert and HAMS responded, it was only a drill. The drill had been organised by the National Disaster Management Agency and arranged by the Government of West Bengal's Disaster Management Department. The club station quickly established communications throughout the villages, and 25 licensed HAMS from the club kept the lines of communication open. This kind of readiness remains critical in India, but especially in the eastern coastal area, where states like West Bengal... Andhra Pradesh, Tamil Nadu and Odisha feel the brunt of the damage and share the difficult cyclone season with nearby Bangladesh. This is Graham Kemp, VK4BB. The long-awaited new amateur license class is coming to Australia, but not as quickly as many had hoped. John Williams, VK4JJW, brings us up to date. Hams in Australia, who've been waiting for the introduction of the new amateur class license on July 1st, are going to have to wait a little longer. The Australian Communications and Media Authority has announced that it must make certain determinations concerning the license's operational policy arrangements and to further clarify the implementation of higher power authorization. According to the ACMA website, that includes call sign administration, public register options, amateur operating procedures, and arrangements for amateur club and international reciprocity for advanced amateurs travelling overseas. The ACMA's review also includes, among other things, its proposed access for standard level amateur licensees for the 50 to 52 megahertz band. The ACMA said it'll provide an update in the second quarter of this year. This is John Williams, VK4JJW. Another voice has weighed in on the battle to keep AM radio and cars used in the United States. Kent Peterson, KC0DGY, has that update. A New Jersey lawmaker has added his voice to the growing call in the United States, asking that AM radio become a required safety feature for all automakers, including electric cars being manufactured in the U.S. market. Congressman Josh Gothheimer said he believes some carmakers' plans to discontinue AM radio in cars and trucks will post an unnecessary danger during national emergencies when many alerts are transmitted over broadcast AM frequencies. He compared AM radio to other minimum safety requirements provided in cars, including seatbelts, airbags, and brakes. The lawmaker said the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has an obligation to put AM radio on that list of minimum standards. He spoke at a press conference in late March in New Jersey, accompanied by Jordan Walton, the executive director of the New Jersey Broadcasters Association. A number of car makers have said that AM radio transmissions are disrupted by noise generated by electric vehicles, making signal reception poor. There has been a growing call recently to keep AM radio for motorists in the U.S. The most recent voices have been those of seven former officials of the Federal Emergency Management Agency. This is Kent Peterson, KC0, DGY. Hams and firefighters alike are mourning the death of a colleague in Caribou, Maine. Daniel Raymond, KC1, PGR, became a silent key on March 23rd, 
following an automobile accident. Dan had been involved in rescue and firefighting for much of his adult life. In 1995, he became a career firefighter for the Caribou Fire and Ambulance Department, eventually attaining the rank of captain. A devoted public servant on many levels, Dan was active in community life and taught public safety education. He was charter member of the Caribou Emergency Amateur Radio Service and an active operator with the Caribou Radio Amateur Civil Emergency Service. Dan was 57. Imagine an antenna that stands seven stories tall, is 30 feet wide, and contains 110 tons of stainless steel, bronze, and steel. Well, it's not really an antenna. It's a sculpture on the campus of university in New York State. But for just one day in March, it helped log a contact on 20 meters. Cell MB KB3 TZD explains. The sculpture is called the Sentinel, and by all accounts, it is the largest sculpture to stand on any university campus in the United States. It recently morphed into a 20-meter antenna that helped log a successful contact using FT8 on 5 watts. Experiments are a way of life at the Rochester Institute of Technology in upstate New York, and so members of the amateur radio club K2GXT couldn't resist giving in to their long-simmering temptation to turn the Sentinel from a symbolic campus guardian into a somewhat artful messenger. The hams first checked the setup with a nano VNA and then let those 5 watts loose, keeping onlookers at a safe distance while they transmitted. A report by one of the club members on Reddit said, With help from our university's health and safety team, we did this today. We were able to be heard almost across the entire eastern half of the U.S., at least according to PSK Reporter, despite some less than amazing band conditions. While this is the first such attempt by the club, and happily a successful one, the story doesn't end here. The club members wrote, We're really impressed with the results and we hope to do this again with better band conditions. The sculpture cost $800,000 when it was installed 20 years ago. It might be more cost-effective next time to just toss a wire into the trees. This is Cell MB, KB3, TZD. Time for you to identify your station. We are the amateur radio newsline heard on bulletin stations around the world, including the W4HPL repeater in Cookville, Tennessee, on Tuesdays at 8.30 p.m. local time. If you're heading to Hamvention in Xenia, Ohio, here's something to put on your calendar for that weekend. The Amateur Radio Newsline Town Hall Forum is back. This popular and lively 90-minute session was discontinued after the death of Newsline co-founder Bill Pasternak, WA6ITF, in 2015. It returns on Friday, May 19th from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. local time with Mark Smith, N6MTS, co-host of the Ham Radio Workbench podcast, who will discuss the proposed open headset interface standard. Riley Hollingsworth, K4ZDH, former FCC Amateur Radio Enforcement Director who oversees the ARRL's Volunteer Monitor Program. We will also be hosting IARU President Timothy Ellum, VE6SH, who will give an overview of issues that IARU is reviewing that affect hams worldwide. See you there. Hams in the UK have already planned a variety of events to mark the King's coronation in May. They've just received approval for yet another way to mark the occasion. Jeremy Boot, G4NGH, has those details. Ofcom has approved the use of the letter R as a regional secondary locator prefix for call signs used during the coronation of the King and the Queen Consort. 
hams will need to apply for a notice of variation known as an NOV and can do so through the Radio Society of Great Britain's website. Use of this special prefix is approved for use during May and June. To apply, hams must provide their call sign and their email address, as well as the number of their amateur radio licence. The application form is available at rsgb.org. The coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla will take place at Westminster Abbey on Saturday the 6th of May. This is Jeremy Boot, G4NJH. New Zealand's Secretary Island is traditionally a haven for native wildlife, especially birds, and is prized for having a splendid ecosystem. One amateur radio operator recently combined his work as a conservationist there with his pursuit of CUSOs. Jim Meachin, CL2BHF, tells us of his adventures. For five days, Matt Briggs, ZL4NVW, was both the hunter and the hunted. He spent five days on Secretary Island, helping the Department of Conservation trap stoats, predators that made it across the sound to invade this pristine island ecosystem. But Secretary also carries the island designation of ZLI slash SL-253 in the ZL on the air scheme. So not all of the gear Matt carried was used for trapping these carnivorous mammals. He was looking to catch some QSOs, and he did, on several SOTA summits. He started with SOTA summit ZL3 forward slash FL-728, known as the hub, and went on to hut Mount Grono Biv, designated ZLH forward slash SL-142. He wrote on the SOTA reflector that his first day on the island was a productive one. He brought in 10 SOTA contacts and, oh yes, four stoats. It was a good beginning. Later, he was to tackle SOTA summit Mount Grono, ZL3 forward slash FL-616. In between checking the stoat traps, he made good contacts from this four-point summit, which is the island's highest. Despite some weather challenges, his good fortune continued right up to the final day on the island. Matt didn't just leave with a log. He has pictures too. You can share his experience virtually by going to the SOTA Reflector. The link appears in the text version of this week's script at arnewsline.org. This is Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF. In the world of DX, a DARC team has activated the special event call sign DA23WARD in celebration of World Amateur Radio Day. The station will be on the air through the 18th of April. The Bureau will automatically confirm all contacts. Direct QSLs should be sent via DL2VFR. Another station marking World Amateur Radio Day is the UBA special event station in Belgium using the call sign OT23WARD. This station will be on the air from the 1st through the 30th of April. QSL via club logs, OQRS, LOTW, EQSL. A certificate will be available. Be listening for 3A8AB from Monaco between April the 1st and the 30th. The activation commemorates the 100th anniversary of the first transatlantic two-way contact via amateur radio between Leon Deloy, F8AB, and Fred Schnell, 1MO. Leon became a silent key in 1969 in Monaco and bequeathed his fortune to a variety of philanthropic organizations, QSL via LOTW.
Our final story of this week tells about a very new club. In fact, it's one of the most remarkable clubs to ever come into being. It's based in a most unlikely and very remote location, Bouvet Island. Our April Fool's Day correspondent, Pierre Poulamaleg, tells Newsline listeners about the new Bouvet Island Amateur Radio Club and its highly unusual members. Remember, you heard this story first on Amateur Radio Newsline. Pierre? Uh, merci. After saying goodbye to the 3Y0J expedition only a few weeks earlier, the local residents were inspired. They knew it was time for Abuve Island to have its own amateur radio club. So one was hatched, just like uh, so many of its members. Yes, hatched, because these members, you see... They are the penguins, native to this South Atlantic island. These birds are so very intelligent, and they had very carefully watched from afar as the team of operators called CQ. They learned just enough a CW along the way to try and operate. <laughs> so, just maybe you busted one of those pileups, no? Maybe you ended up working a penguin, and you did not know it. Well, now, these birds, they have developed their own digital mode of operating to make things easier. It's called a penguino. Penguino is good, oui? Because the birds found that a CW, well, she is nice enough. But it's too hard. Ham radio operators with wings, mes amis, cannot possibly hope to have a good fist. So, be listening for the low-power, highly efficient transmissions of Penguino on the HF bands. Listen for the club call sign 3Y2PENG. For Penguin! Ha <laughs> ha! Please remember too that just because these birds cannot fly does not mean they can't get on the air. This has been PR pulling my leg saying, Au revoir, mes amis! We remind our listeners that young hams who live in the continent of the United States have an opportunity to make news if they aren't already doing so by being a recipient of this year's Amateur Radio Newsline Bill Pasternak Memorial Young Ham of the Year Award. Consider nominating an amateur radio operator 18 years of age or younger, someone who has talent, promise, and commitment to the spirit of ham radio. Find application forms on our website, arnewsline.org under the Y-H-O-T-Y tab. Nominations are now open and close on May 31st. Do you have a piece of amateur radio news that you think Newsline would be interested in? We are not talking about advertising your club's upcoming ham fest or field day participation, but something that is out of the ordinary. If so, send us a brief overview via the contact page at arnewsline.org. If it's newsworthy and we'd like to cover it, we'll get back to you for more details. 
With thanks to Amateur News Weekly, ARRL, Australia Communications and Media Authority, CQ Magazine, David Bihar, K7DB, DX-World.net, FCC, 425, DX News, Hackaday, National Public Radio, QRZ.com, Radio Society of Great Britain, Radio World, Reddit, Rochester Institute of Technology, Soda Reflector, ShortwaveRadio.de, Space.com, West Bengal Radio Club, Wireless Institute of Australia, Worldwide Flora and Fauna, and you, our listeners. That's all from the Amateur Radio Newsline. We remind our listeners that Amateur Radio Newsline is an all-volunteer, non-profit organization that incurs expenses for its continued operation. If you wish to support us, please visit our website at airnewsline.org and know that we appreciate you all. We also remind our listeners that if you like our newscast, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you subscribe to us. For now, with Karen Eve Murray, KD2GUT, at the news desk in New York, and our news team worldwide, I'm Stephen Kinford, NAWB in Wadsworth, Ohio, saying 73, and as always, we thank you for listening. Amateur Radio Newsline is copyright 2023, all rights reserved.